over half term, I climbed Snowdon. Thank you very much. And if you've climbed Snowdon before, I climbed it in two and a half hours. Anyone beaten that? No. The average climb is three and a half hours, I'll tell you. I knocked a whole hour off it. But I climbed the mountain, and there are going to be a few pictures that come up as I, as, I, as I tell my story about my mountain climb. But as I was going up, it was stunning. And if you've climbed Snowdon before, some of the views are wonderful. But as I was climbing up, there I am, as I was climbing up the mountain, I was really mindful that there were valleys either side of me. I was really mindful that at any moment I could have a misstep. There could be a loose stone on the path, and I could end up tumbling into the valley. But I reached the top. And life is a little bit like Snowden. We have moments where we're on the mountaintop, but there are also moments in life where we're in the valley and life is really tough. And for some of us at the moment, life is tough and we are in the valley. For some of us, this past season has been a real struggle. Maybe we've had struggles with our relationships, with our marriages. Maybe we've had struggles at work and our finances have been a challenge. Maybe it's just been really hard with the kids. For some of us, we've just been really lonely. Life has valleys. And for us, part of learning how to follow Jesus is what does life look like on the mountaintop, but also what does life look like? What does following Jesus look like in the valley? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be a worshipper of Jesus? And this morning, I want to focus on that this morning, about being a worshipper and how worship should permeate our entire lives. It's a lifestyle. It's a devotion. Just like in any relationship, you live faithfully with the person that you're with, but there are moments of intimacy, and it's like that with Jesus. We come and we worship him, and there are moments of intimacy with him, but there are almost there are always and sometimes moments where he shows his love to us. And one of the great joys of being a follower of Jesus is those moments of intimacy with him. And when we worship him, whether it's through a song, whether it's just through a moment of, of peace and quiet, where you're just sitting still in his presence, whether it's a moment where you're just focused on him, that's what worship is. Our purpose is, is to worship him. In the Westminster Catechism, the first question in the, in the Catechism is this. It is, what is the chief end of man or woman? Man or woman's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our chief purpose, to worship Jesus. Now, we all know that worship on the mountaintop is easy. God can feel really good in those seasons of life, where his, where his goodness to us is really obvious. And it's, it's easy to praise God in those seasons, but what is it like to worship him in the valley? When life isn't feeling quite as easy, when life is tough, God doesn't feel quite as good in the valley as he does in the mountaintop. And in fact, we know for... A number of us at the moment, this is a very real reality. You are in 
the valley and life is tough. And for some of us, the last thing we feel like doing is singing. The last thing we feel like doing is worshipping. And you've lost your song. So this morning, I want to encourage us and remind us that there is something powerful when we choose to worship. There is something powerful when we show up to worship. There is something powerful that when we sing, it brings freedom and wholeness to us. There is something about worship in the valley which brings about change. And it helps us to navigate those valleys of life. And it has a lot to do with raising a song of praise to Jesus. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. And it's one of the reasons why we're here today. We've come here today because God stepped out of heaven. Jesus came to work to earth to step into the valley of brokenness that was the world. When we create a pattern and a habit of worship and devotion in our lives on the mountaintop, it helps us to navigate those seasons in life when it's tough. So why worship in the valley? Why choose to worship in the valley? Well, firstly, God is the God of the mountaintop, but he is also the God of the valley. David knew that. In the Psalm 23, he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He's with you in the valley. And sometimes in the valley, we can forget who God is. We can forget about his goodness. We can forget about his promises, his faithfulness. God is in the valley with you. I have just watched all seven series of The West Wing. Who's watched The West Wing before? Oh, there's a lot of you that have got some telly to catch up on. If you're looking for a new box set, West Wing. Um, anyway, there's this, there's this scene in the West Wing, and it's Christmas time. And Josh, who is the deputy chief of staff in the White House, is going through an incredibly difficult time. And uh, he's going through some counselling, and it's late at night. And he's just come out of his counselling session. And Leo, who is the chief of staff, is just sitting outside the door. And he sees Leo, and he says, you waited for me. And Leo said this, there's a guy who's walking down the street and he falls into a hole and a doctor walks past and he shouts up, hey doc, help me out of the hole. And the doctor writes a prescription and he throws it into the hole and then keeps walking on. And then a priest walks by and he looks up and he says, father, help me, I'm stuck in a hole. And the priest writes a prayer and he throws it into the hole. And then a friend walks past and he says, hey, Joe, help me out of the hole. And Joe jumps in and he said, Joe, why are you being so stupid? Why have you jumped in the hole with me? Now we're both stuck. And Joe said, I've been here before and I know the way out. And that's how it is with Jesus. He jumps into your hole and he knows the way out. He meets us in our valley. He meets us when we're struggling. And he's worthy of our worship. And all too often we can forget this when we're in the hole, when we're in the valley, because as we look around, all we can see are the walls around us. We can't see the way out. God steps in to the valley. 
Secondly, when we choose to worship, it's like this virtuous circle that starts to spin. Because as we choose to worship him, we again remember who he is. And so it's like this, see who he is and choose to worship. Choose to worship and see who he is again. So make the choice to worship him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, a little while ago, um, in fact, I will tell that story in a moment. So let's come back to Jesus. So Jesus stepped out of heaven and he came to earth. He stepped into the brokenness of the world, the brokenness of the valley. And just as Jesus was kicking off his ministry in Luke chapter four, he reads Isaiah 61 and he says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair." A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Who will display his splendor? You and me. The broken, the hurting, the mourning, the captives, those who are in prison, those that are stuck in a hole. We will display his splendor as we worship. He then goes on, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the, the places long devastated. What was lost and broken, Jesus comes to rebuild and restore. And when Jesus said these words, he was saying that he had come to the valley. He had come to the dark places that we find ourselves in. He came to a world which was broken and in despair, and he came to turn it around. And often when we're in the valley, the only thing that we can see is our circumstance. And often we can feel really guilty, and we think, all I can see is the hurt and the pain and the failure. I feel like a failure. And God wants to know, for you to know today, that he loves you, that he doesn't see you as a failure. But if we allow this to take root in our hearts, then it begins to block our view of Jesus. Choosing to worship puts our eyes back on him. A couple of years ago, Claire was, was really sick. She was off work for, for six months, and it was a really tough season for us in our family, in our lives. And the, the weeks and months went by, and there was no change in her health. She just continued the same. And, and to be really honest with you, I found it really difficult to pray. I found it really difficult to worship because we were just stuck in this, in this rut, in, this, in this, this season of life where nothing seemed to change. And God did not feel particularly good or faithful in that season. And I struggled to pray. And I'm paid to pray. That's my job. I'm a vicar. I'm a professional Christian, but I struggle to, to, to pray and to worship. But it was when I began to worship that things began to change. And some mornings I would be here and there would be songs like, oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High. And tears would flow. 
There were songs like, um, this one I really cried through. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay down my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I take, I will sing of the goodness of God. And that was a tough song to sing in my valley. But as I began to sing it, my perspective changed and I began to see Jesus again. I began to see Jesus again. I was singing truth and it was feeding my soul. Even though I didn't feel those words in the moment, those words were truth to my soul. It watered my heart and I began to see who he is again. As I put on my Jesus glasses, I began to see his character again, his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his unchangingness, if that's a word. I began to see who he is again. That's what worship does. It changes our perspective of who God is. Worship is a weapon. Worship becomes a weapon in the valley, and it's a weapon against the darkness that we sometimes face in our lives. And understanding that the power of worship is a weapon isn't something new for us today. We see it all the way through Scripture. And one of the best examples of this is in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20. And uh, King Jehoshaphat and the people of God, they are facing three armies, and it does not look good for them. They are facing certain defeat, certain death, death. Now just imagine that you're there at the moment. You're there, and you know that any moment, three armies are coming over the hill, and they're going to kill your family, your friends, your neighbor, and you're all going to be wiped out. Well, Jehoshaphat was there. He knew what it was to be overwhelmed and desperate. He was in a deep hole. And in verse 3, he says this, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat required to inquire of the Lord. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. If you're in that place of feeling alarmed and in despair, you're not alone. Jehoshaphat knew what it was. I I think I would have felt more than just alarmed. I think that's a bit of an understatement, but he felt alarmed. But what was his response? To inquire of the Lord, to go to God. And then he declares this fast over Judah and and he encourages all the people to seek God. And then he gets up and he speaks to them and he says this, verse 12. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all those who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down on them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Now that's a prophecy, isn't it? If you're in the valley, you want to get that one, don't you? It's a good one. The situation was hopeless. Jehoshaphat 
and the people are going to die. And this word of encouragement comes to them. And then there's this key point in the passage, verse verse 18, and this is how they respond. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. In this moment of despair and desperation, what do they do? They fall on their faces and surrender. And that's such a posture of surrender. That's such a position of vulnerability. Now, our valleys might not be quite as desperate as Jehoshaphat's, but when we are in the valley, when we are facing a mountain, when all seems impossible, the first thing we need to do is to put our faces on the ground. When your face is on the ground, you are vulnerable. When your face is on the ground, it's just you and Jesus. When your face is on the ground, it's just you and God. And if you're struggling at the moment, maybe your marriage is difficult, put your face on the ground. If, you're, if it's hard with your kids at the moment, put your face on the ground. If work is hard and finances are hard, put your face on the ground. Whatever it is for you at the moment, put your face on the ground and surrender. It's a moment to rest. When your face is on the ground, it's a moment to say, God, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you and I'm going to trust you. It's not a moment to start fighting. It's not a moment to start coming up with solutions. It's a moment to rest. It's a moment to surrender and just hand over your troubles to him. It's a moment to trust. And I know for some of you that you're in the valley at the moment. And can I encourage you just to get on your face and surrender again? But it didn't end there. Verse 19. Then some Levites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, can you see the pattern that's evolving here? They get this message of hope. They then surrender. And then worship follows. Hope, surrender, worship. God speaks hope into their situation. But remember, they were still in the same situation that they were in before. Three armies were still heading over the mountain. They were still facing certain defeat. The situation hadn't changed, but their focus had changed and their perspective had changed and they had lifted up their heads to God. Jehoshaphat knew that worship is a weapon. He knew that worship was the key to unlocking their situation and saving them. Worship brings hope and light into your valley. Verse 20, we go on. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise... 
the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And we know that the story ends in victory for the people of Israel. But his army still had to go out. They still had to put their clothes on and face the army. But they went out. And as they went out, at the front of the army was a roar of praise being lifted. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. They simply sang a song and the battle was won. The story started in surrender and ended in praise. Now worship is much more than singing, but, but singing is part of our worship and there is power in choosing to declare the praises and the goodness of God. For some of us, that might just be when you're in the car driving. For others, it might be just at home on your knees. For others, it might be just coming here and just putting your arms up in adoration to Jesus. When God hears you worship, he draws close. He moves towards you. As we sing, as we pour out our devotion, God moves towards you. Worship is a weapon. It brings deliverance and freedom, and it invites God into your valley. In Acts 16, we see another great example of worship in the valley. Paul and Silas have just arrived in Philippi, and they're out in the town centre sharing the good news of Jesus with the folk that live there. And the authorities are really unhappy about this. So they end up getting arrested, beaten, and thrown into jail. And probably the last thing that they wanted to do was worship. And this is what it says in verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In one of their darkest moments, when everything just looks desperate, when the last thing you'd want to do is worship, they began to worship. They didn't allow the prison to define God. They allowed God to define the prison. It's midnight. It's pitch black. It's desperate. And what do they do? They worship. They worship. It, they would have been in excruciating pain, maybe broken bones, their faces all bashed up, bleeding, their mouths and their lips swollen. But what do they do? They start to sing. I don't know what they sang. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I don't know what they sang, but they began to sing a song and God moved towards them. As they began to sing a song, they began to build a throne of praise in the middle of their prison cell. And as they did that, God came and sat on that throne. And then what happens? Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Worship is a weapon. Worship opens the doors of our prisons. Worship sets us free. When we worship, God moves towards us. When we worship, God makes his presence known among us. There is power in his presence. That's one of the reasons we spend so much time in worship here, is we know that there is power in his presence. As we worship him, he brings freedom. 
And what's amazing about this story is not only did the prison doors fly open, not only did Paul and Silas's chains came off, but everyone else who was in the prison, their chains came off as well. How can your worship impact those around you? What does worship look like at work with your friends, with your colleagues, those at the school gate? Because when we worship, it has an impact on other people in our lives as well. When we worship, others find freedom. And as I begin to close, if you are in the valley of despair at the moment and it seems really dark and there is no way out, remember the goodness of God. Choose to praise. Choose to worship. And even though you might not understand the situation and why it's going in your life, start to sing some truth. It will lift your heart. It will lift your soul. And you might be saying, I haven't got a song in me. Jehoshaphat and the army, they didn't have a song either. They just sang, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. That's all they sang. It was simple. Don't let the darkness cast a shadow over your devotion. Don't let the prison suffocate your worship. Don't let the valley silence your song. Start to worship again. Just find a song. It might be just sitting in the silence and just saying, God, I love you. For others, it might be we begin to sing something. Years ago, about 10, 11 years ago, I was made redundant. And I can remember driving back and forward to the office in Chiswick on the North Circular, and I was broken. But I just started to sing. And the song I was singing at the time was, How Great Is Our God. Sing with me, How Great Is Our God. And all will see how great is our God. And I used to cry driving back and forward <laughs> to the office. I sought my eyes out before I walked in. Um, but I began to sing truth. And as I sang truth, he came back into view. I was just chatting to Nicola this week. When she received her cancer diagnosis three, three or so years ago, she was saying it was such a dark moment. But for me, my focus began to change. I think Tom gave you a, gave you a Spotify p playlist of worship songs, and Nicola just used to play those, and it began to change her perspective. She began to see who God is, even in that dark place. She knew who God was. If you're in the valley, make a choice today to worship. Make a choice today to declare the goodness of God. Even if your valley seems unfair and you don't understand why you're in it, choose to worship. Now, I didn't know this, but that first song we sang, I had, I'd popped in my talk by Matt and Beth Redmond, Blessed Be Your Name. And I just love this song because the song kind of balances out, blessed be your name in the good seasons, but blessed be your name in the tough seasons too. The first couple of verses, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. You give, you take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. We're just about to come and take communion. And as we do, it's a reminder to us that Jesus stepped out of heaven. He died. He gave his body 
for us. He, he, he died, he, gave his bro- he broke his body for us. He stepped into the valley of a broken world, into your valley that's broken. So as we come to take communion, let's choose to worship. And communion is part of our worship. So as we do that, our perspective changes and he comes back into view. Amen.